Welcome, folks, to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling. I'm the host of this show, and we are almost at the end of 2018. I, I'm feeling really reflective. I've had such a great year with this podcast. I've spoken to so many different people, um, and the podcast overall has been going for three plus years and almost three and a half years. And it's just been so, so good. I've just really enjoyed it this year. It's been challenging at times. It's been, I've had a lot of soul searching, but it has been so rewarding for me. I've really, really enjoyed it. And um, I've had some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life. And it's just been so, so good. And if you're new to the podcast, I'm I'm talking to all sorts of people, musicians, um, documentary filmmakers, authors, paleontologists, astrophysicists, um, people that work in the emergency services, activists, um, teachers, stay tuned. Um, lots of people, the weird, the wonderful, the amazing, uh, inspiring people that have got great stories, have got great insights. I've learned so much about the world around me and about myself as well. Um, I've become far more open-minded and compassion, uh, and have more compassion for other people now than I ever have, um, have had in the past before I even started this podcast. So Thank you so much to everybody that does support this podcast. This podcast is so much more popular now than it ever has been before. Um, I'm finding it popping up in the most unusual of places. Um, people are talking about it that I've never met before. Um, it's so weird. And I just don't know who listens to this half the time, but it's just really, really cool. And it's rewarding when I get those little moments where people uh, reach out and let me know, or I see people talking about it on social media or, or around the traps. And it's just really, really cool. So thank you so much. Now, kicking into the usual spiel... In addition to hosting this podcast, I also play bass in the Australian heavy metal band Lord. And if you love a bit of 80s heavy metal, or even if you don't, and you're just curious and you just want a bit of a sticky beak, go to lord.net.au and there's our whole back catalogue. We've got streaming music there. We've got all of our video clips if you want a bit of a visual experience. Um, there's historical information. There's our online store if you want to support us and buy a t-shirt or a CD or something like that heaps of stuff over there. Really, really cool website. Tim did a great job. Um, still, I'm still bragging about it. I love it. I think it's a great website. There's a lot of cool information there. Um, so go and check that out over at lord.net.au. Now, one other thing that I do on the side is I have another podcast called Self Starter, and it's all about small business, self-employment, and freelancing. So if you're feeling inspired, you want to create your own income, you know, you want to create your own business, you want to be self-employed, you want to do a bit of freelancing, you want to earn a bit of pocket money on the side, a bit of a side hustle, or you know somebody that might tick one of those boxes, go to selfstarter.com.au, go and check that out. Um, you can check it out in your podcast player as well, it's easy to find. And uh, we're almost wrapped up for season one of uh, this year, but um, it's been fantastic. I, the podcast is in the National Sound Archive in Canberra. Um, I was a finalist for the uh, 2018 Australian Podcast Awards for Host of the Year. Um, I've got a lot of regional press because the podcast has been focused on a lot of regional people around this country of ours. And it's just been really, really rewarding. So once again, I'm gloating and, and just you know reflective and feeling so good about life. But it's, it's been really, really good. And thank you so much to everyone, the Andy social faithful that have gone over to self-starter and just supported and given that a real boost because it's really, really helped in achieving the success, the success that it has had this year. So thank you very much. This week's shout out. Now, if you are new to the podcast, each and every week, I thank somebody that supports me or the podcast or the band or whatever it may be. And it can be a range of different ways. Uh, reviews somewhere on the internet, wherever the hell you can find a place to leave a comment, leave it. Um, it could be a message of encouragement, a guest recommendation. It could be buying some merch from the online store over at andysocial.net. It could be shouting me a beer via the PayPal button over at uh, andysocial.net. Plug, 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 spam, spam. <laughs> whatever it is, small or big, it doesn't matter. It, it helps me, it keeps me fueled, keeps me motivated, 
really keeps me on course. It's just so cool to see people do that little 1% extra on top. And to be honest, all I ever want from people is to just listen to this podcast and enjoy it. And that, that is all I need. But these people do things and go above and beyond for me. And it just means so much to me. So thank you so much to everyone that continues to support something that I am so passionate about. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But each week I pick one person, I put it on pub- public record. It's my way of giving back just a little bit. It's the least that I could do just to say thank you. And, and also send something out in the post, a little care package, something just a little, little extra, something, something nice. So this week's shout out is for Rowan Bunting. Rowan, this is the second time you're getting a shout out in this podcast, mate. And the reason why Rowan's getting a second uh, shout out is that he recently bought a t-shirt, a white antisocial t-shirt from the online store over at antisocial.net and add a little message saying, keep doing great things, Andy. And that means so much. It just, thank you so much. Rowan is, and I think I, I think I glowed about this in the past as well. He is such a positive guy. Um, I'm yet to meet him in person. I've really got to make the effort next time I'm in Melbourne to catch up and have a beer. But uh, Rowan's got a brand new album out. Him and uh, his uh, bandmate Clint, I think. I haven't met Clint yet. But um, they've got a band called Battle Grave. And they've just released a new album called Relics of a Dead Earth. Oh, so heavy metal. And you can go and check that out by going to battlegrave.bandcamp.com. Um, you can search for Battlegrave in fa- on Facebook, Instagram, and and the rest. And um, I've listened to it. Really, really cool. You can check it out on Spotify as well. Um, they've got uh, a whole bunch of stuff, some cool T-shirts, um, CDs, and everything like that. So go and check it out on Bandcamp. Give it a listen. If it's something that floats your boat and you enjoy it, uh, make sure you support Rowan and the guys. It's just uh, really, really cool. He's such a good dude, and it's great to see so much positivity in heavy metal music. It's just, we need more of it. So Rowan is flying the flag for positivity and some kick-ass riffs. And thank you so much for getting a t-shirt. Shoot me a message, mate, and I will pass something out in the post to you. Um, a little care package of some stuff I found around the around the office. I'll find something cool. This week's episode is with Eddie Wu. Eddie's a mathematics teacher. He is the head mathematics teacher at Cherrybrook Technology High School. He's been teaching for the past 11 years. And I know, I know, I know, I know. When you saw this episode pop up in your feed, you're thinking, all right, Andy, you got me. I know you've got a mixed bag of guests. I know there's an eclectic mix. There's always someone random popping up and I love it. It's the best podcast ever. Sorry, I'm getting carried away. But a mathematics teacher, really? Like, how interesting could a mathematics teacher be on the podcast? Well, I'm going to put it out there. I'm saying this, nobody else. I think Eddie would have to be the coolest mathematics teacher on earth. I mean, not that I know a lot of mathematics teachers, but I don't know anybody else that is out there like Eddie and has amassed such an amazing amount of attention and success um, just from teaching math. And he has a YouTube channel called WooTube. Well done. And um, you can find that actually, uh, I'll plug these right now. Um, you can uh, search for Mr. WooTube on YouTube, or you can go to mrwootube.com and there'll be all links there as well. Um, and originally started him uploading uh, lesson content for his students. And then over time, it sort of got out there. And now um, at the time of recording this, he has almost half a million subscribers on his on his YouTube page. 
And I think he's got, I don't know exactly, but something like 20 plus million views across all of his videos on his channel. And it's just really, really cool. And just recently, he's just put out a book called Woo's Wonderful World of Math. And um, he's got a whole range of uh, really cool examples in there. It's not your typical textbook of mathematics. He's got really, really cool subjects. And he explains mathematics in a really fun and digestible way. It's not for kids. Uh, it's not just for kids, I should say. It's for everybody. Um, for me, like reading it, it's really, really cool. Um, and there's a lot of interesting uh, angles of um, looking at particular things in everyday life where I'm able to understand mathematics a hell of a lot better than I did before. So it's not just for students. It's for anybody now. And um, Eddie's just doing amazing things. Uh, he's just, he's being celebrated. He's getting a lot of media attention. Um, he was named Australia's local hero of the year, um, uh, for 2018. Um, he's just, he's just doing really great things. So I caught up with Eddie at the high school. We sat down in his little office and we had a chat for about an hour or so. And he is such a cool person. Uh, just really inspiring guy. He's doing, doing great things. And I think we speak about it in this conversation, but I think we just need to continue to celebrate the everyday jobs that people do to help the community, help help kids, help adults, um, and it could be anything from emergency services to teaching to whatever it might be, and things that we take for granted. And I hope that I'm just doing my little part to highlight the good work that Eddie is doing and what other people on the podcast have been doing as well. So enough of me. MrWooTube.com, Eddie Woo, you can search for at MrWooTube on Twitter, um, at www.ofmaths on Twitter as well. I'll have all the links in the show notes. AndySocial.net, click on the show notes uh, through the podcast player as well. Enough of me. Please enjoy this chat with Eddie Woo. Okay, Eddie, thank you very much for having me here. We were just having a bit of a, a sticky beak on Google Maps at the, <laughs> the Cherrybrook site here. And um, one thing that I sort of was touching on before, like, I've never seen a school like this, and I've only just had a really quick glimpse of it. But it's big, isn't it? The scale of Cherrybrook Technology High School is really difficult to wrap your head around. And in fact, it will be a whole other thing when, shortly as we look out this window the flood of students that are going to pour out here. I remember when I first arrived, the school that I'd been teaching at prior to here was less than half the size, mm. which makes it sound like the other school was really teeny tiny. Yep. But that other school was normal size. It's this place that's enormous. So about 2,000 children. We sort of fluctuate up and down around that number. It's incredible. And I arrived and I, I looked, it was lunchtime. Yeah. Um, and... It felt a lot more, it felt less like a school mm. and more almost like a university campus. Yep. I remember when I was, you know, at, at school and lunchtime, I'd be running around an oval, I'd be kicking a ball, all that kind of thing. Here, because there are so many students, we actually don't really have what you would traditionally call a playground mm. anymore. It's covered with buildings, demountable yep. classrooms, what have you. So you've got sort of people sitting around in little groups. It's just this social buzz and this energy that comes all from not necessarily, even though there are people throwing balls around. Yeah. Um, it's just that, that density of people. It's like sort of walking through the city, you know, pit street at peak hour. Yep. And it's quite something to behold. When you've got 2000 enrolled students here, I would assume that from a logistical point of view, is there, is there any type of rostered sort of approach? Because can, can this area uh, deal with that many students all being in the one spot at the same time? Because I'm, 
you know, traditionally growing up, you would have your morning tea breaks, you have your lunch breaks, but everybody would have the breaks at the same time. Mm. Does that happen here or is there a different approach just because of the sheer volume of, of students? There are a lot of unique things that come from the size of the school. Um, Interestingly, um, so far at least, and maybe we should have changed this a long time ago, yep. at least in terms of break times, for instance, yep. we still just barely fit everyone out onto the yard um, <laughs> at recess and at lunchtime at the same time. I know there are other schools, for example, um, there are particularly if you're a sports high school, yep. um, because, you know, ovals are a very important uh, resource for a sports high school. Mm. So what they'll do is they'll have, you know, um, junior campus which is in the same space, physical yep. space, is on you know early morning and then yep. senior campus is in the evening. There's a t- right. teeny little sort of um, overlap, maybe at lunchtime, yep. but they're almost functioning like two schools. The biggest change that we have here is that, I mean, I made that comparison physically from mm. this school to a university. Uh, in terms of our curriculum structure, mm. one of the great benefits of having 2,000 kids is that even if you want to, you have the most random, esoteric, very you know tiny percent of the population interested in your subject area... Yep. With 2,000 kids, we will have enough people to run a class on that. So within, say, year 9 and 10, we actually run, it feels just like a university with people sort of adding credit points on, trying to get a minor or a major in their course of study. And so, I mean, just off the top of my head, we've got, we don't just have dance classes. We have dance contemporary. We have hip hop. We have every different variety and different class for each one. We've got subjects as specific as um, jewelry design, as uh, the ancient weapons of warfare from, you know, like Rome and Babylon. All I went to the wrong school. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's amazing the things you can do when you do have that scale. There are mm. clear disadvantages to it. I could talk about those as well, um, but it's cool to have that flexibility. I just love it. it. And I would assume that there'd be an underpinning across all these little niche subjects that would be able to blend back into the overall curriculum of that individual. So there's still going to be a method to the madness while you know, you're stimulating that, that person and they're finding something of interest, there would still be something in that subject matter that would pin into the overlock, uh, the overarching um, goal of what is to be in high school. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, even like I went to high school in, in Brisbane and a much smaller school, of course, uh, but very traditional as far as the way it was set up. And in the, in the last couple of years, in 11 and 12, we would have those moduled, uh, subjects and so we would choose them going into those final years and depending on which path we wish to take and it was just it was just very structured and even though there was a little bit of variety not to that extent and I think as you said having the flexibility of having so many enrolled students gives you the opportunity to do a lot of different things whereas if the numbers are smaller then you really you limit your your options are quite limited mm. so it's I mean, I'm 17 years removed from high school now and I have fond memories and not so fond memories, but um, you sort of look at it now and go, wow, it's really, really exciting to see mm. where things are going as far as the way people can learn. And I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on a, quite a bit of this because I'm really fascinated with your unique approach, or at least from the outside, you've got quite a unique approach with the way that you have tackled a subject such as math. Um, I, I have no idea how I came across you. I think it might have been uh, a mutual acquaintance or an admirer who retweeted one of your, <laughs> one of your um, posts on, on Twitter, and I just went, wow, there's a math teacher putting out a book. He's got his own YouTube channel. He's got a, f- a little bit of attention. He's doing, he's doing okay. <laughs> and I dug deeper, and I just thought, this is incredible. You've been able to create something around your name, all that hard work you put in as far as your 
uh, your study and, and um, carving out your own career, but to be able to create this larger than life um, image around yourself and your name. It's been pretty weird, to be honest. I mean, as you point out, uh, it's kind of the last thing that a lot of people would expect, and I would include myself in that number. Um, Over the last, say, 18 to 24 months, it's been quite bizarre watching, uh, you know, my opportunity and platform to be able to interact with sort of broader culture and Mm. society. Um, As a classroom teacher, it's kind of a... It's not really a a sort of done thing. So it's been weird to kind of trailblaze that. And um, I I, I do want to save right from the outset... Um, I would love to take credit and have said, you know, I had a five-year plan. To, I laid out my stri- <laughs> my strategy here and I had it all in mind. Yeah. Um, but I cannot say that. A lot of things, um, and if I, I can go back quite far yeah. to talk about how many things I somewhat fell into by accident, but I was just determined to make the most of wherever I happened to mm-hmm. find myself. Mm-hmm. And that has, you know, delightfully led to some of the things that have created today. So, for example, you mentioned my YouTube channel just mm-hmm. briefly before. There were no grand plans behind this is six years ago now that i started putting videos up Mm. and uh, it is actually easy to tell you can you can very obviously see that there were no grand plans because if you reverse chronologically sort my videos and go back to the original ones they're really awful like you know (laughs) you'll look at some of them and you'll think man this guy's not even standing in the frame the audio quality is terrible call yourself a youtuber like what an amateur (laughs) right there was no uh there was no uh, even an inkling in my mind mm. that there would be a broad audience to that. I was really quite literally only doing that for an individual student in my class. And so to see that take off um, has been as much a surprise to me, perhaps more of a surprise to me than it has been to anyone else. So it, it started off as, as you just had to create a channel because you wanted, you wanted to capture some of your lesson content for a student. And just given technology and what we've got at our fingertips, you thought, oh, I'll create a YouTube account and I'll just upload it and give that link to the student who can look at it in their own time. That obviously served its purpose. Was that video shared by the student to other people or did you realise that I could actually use this, I could repurpose this video and give it to student number two and then number three? How, how did those first few steps look like? Yeah, the, the beginning was really interesting. I mean, when you think about a... Um, I think about those, I don't know if you've ever seen this image before of like someone trying to break a Guinness World Record Mm. of like a a single person dragging like a a Boeing 747 and they're like strapped with all of these like harnesses on and you look at like this big burly guy and his face looks like the the veins are going to burst out of his forehead and he's just leaning forward and you look at the image and you're like, how is that ever going to go anywhere? How is this physically possible? (laughs) And yet, you know, with, with, and I don't even know physically how this works. I should, but, you know, for some reason, with perseverance and he just doesn't give up, eventually it starts inching forward. And those first steps, I think, are fascinating. Mm. I think, and I'm, I'm trying to surmise here because in some ways, I don't really know. You know, mm. there's also, there's the mysteries of the YouTube algorithm. The, I can't, <laughs> I can't predict that some random Australian teacher who's putting up these tacky classroom videos, I can't imagine that ever made the front page of YouTube. Like, oh, the algorithm, you know, viewers are really going to love this. If you watched cat videos, viewers also <laughs> like, recommend next. Your next viral video. Exactly yeah. right. So I don't think it was that, from what I can tell. Yeah. When I was videoing the lessons, where it began with was just I had my phone in my pocket. And this was back in the days when I think the first 
smartphones were introduced that could shoot like 720p video. So it wasn't amazing by today's Mm. standards, but it was certainly a real leap from Mm. what happened in the past. Uh, Importantly, significantly, you could read what's on a whiteboard, for instance, and you could hear basically what was happening, even if it wasn't beautiful. So I had my phone in the middle of the classroom, and so it was a natural question for students to ask as they walked in, Sir... What are you doing? Like, what's up with that? (laughs) So it was quite obvious because I was doing it live in the classroom. A lot of videos that are somewhat comparable to mine um, have been shot by teachers or professors or or whatever, um, kind of in a, what I would call a controlled environment. Mm. There are no students there. It's just that person um, on their own recording whatever is they've prepared. I I don't have time for that. I I didn't, you know, I've got three young kids. I didn't want to... I wasn't going to stay after school and record this in a, in a classroom on my own because I wanted to get home and, and be with them and, you know, bath them and feed them and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So I determined I was going to do this while the lesson was happening. So whatever 30 or 20 kids are in the classroom, they knew I was doing this. And a natural question was like, what are you, where is that going to go? Yeah, What's going to happen absolutely. with that? And just by coincidence, in that same class where this unwell student was... Um, at the same time, there were a bunch of students in that class who were also absent in class for very different reasons. So I think I had the school vice captain in my class. I had this really sporty girl who was constantly representing the school in touch football or something like that. And as a consequence, they were missing class and they knew uh, part of what drove me in the beginning was mathematics knowledge is quite unique and different to other kinds of knowledge in that... Okay, if you're reading, if you and I had a newspaper article in front of us, yep. and we read a sentence, and we're like, don't know what that word means. I've never encountered that word before. You and I could probably make a pretty educated guess as to what that word means based on the context. That's Absolutely. kind of the way language is. Yep. There's redundancy built in, so that if you don't hear, if you don't catch one word on the other end of the line of a phone, you still know what the person's yep. talking about. Absolutely. Right? That's the way literacy develops. But numeracy is different because mathematicians, we love efficiency of communication. We love to be succinct. And so we want to be as brief as possible. We invent symbols, just unique individual characters, so that we don't have to say long strings of words. But as a consequence, if there's a single symbol and equation that you don't know, you really don't know what any of that whole equation means and that whole problem. And so there's this great interconnectedness between all the pieces of knowledge that I think is beautiful, but leads to problems when you're learning it. Yep. If you're that student who missed two days because you were off at, you know, state-level state touch football competition, you come back two days later and you're looking at what I'm explaining on the board and you've got no clue what you're so far behind. You are, yeah, two yeah. days and you're so far behind. Those gaps in knowledge are fatal. Yep. And so those students said, hey, so you, you had that video, didn't you? could could I have a look at that? And I found <laughs> that it was their own interest that sort of drove that. And before long, there were students in other classes who, I mean, we we learn things in, in, in school and we expect students to know things that, okay, a half yearly exam, which many of us went through many times, the typical half yearly exam is assessing six months worth of ideas. Now, I don't remember what I had for breakfast six days ago, let alone <laughs> some complex mathematical idea that I learned six months ago. And so it became a sort of natural thing when these students were off preparing. They said, where can we look to? Oh, yeah, my teacher, he, he made a video of this. Why don't you have a look? 
And it just kind of spread by word of mouth, I think, from the beginning, and that's what set the ball rolling. And there's a couple of things that I think would also come would would add to the advantage or add to the acceleration of 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 how popular these videos have become. You mentioned before about other lecturers and teachers that do their own version of documenting this thing in a controlled environment. They do it after hours, but I think having the dynamic of having a classroom there, even even though you can't see them, and I've watched a few of the videos, you can't see them, but your body language and the way that you're describing things and working through these these patterns, uh, you're feeding off the people that are paying attention to you. Mm. And I think when you're just talking to a camera or you're talking to an imaginary audience, um, it's very hard to put across that message with, with the same amount of conviction. Mm. So I think there's something there that it's not always measurable, um, but I think that's what can attract people to it because there's an extra mm. there's an extra bit of dynamic at play. Um, the other thing that I find really interesting, and it comes to this larger topic around learning, is that everybody learns in a different way. Some people are very visual. Some people need uh, you know, the written form. Um, some people need to sit down and read a book or a textbook. Other people need to be told... Um, or listen to something, so audio, audio, visual, et cetera, et cetera. So no doubt having this content, which maybe the students would have some textbooks that they could refer to and flick through pages and try to find the answers, um, they can digest this information in a different format that may sink in and absorb a lot better as well. Mm. Did you find that type of reaction from, from the students in the early days? Yeah, that, I absolutely. That resonates with me a lot, actually, because, um, you know, I... I've been teaching for 11 years now, mm. which is a decent chunk of time. Yeah. But it's also not... There are certainly, uh, you know, the way that... For, for those of you who aren't... Those people who aren't aware, which mm. is, you know, most people have not worked in a school before. Yeah. If you're in a high school, um, every year you teach, you know, a different set of grades. Um, you know, for example, uh, last year I had a year 7, an 8, a 10, and a 12. Mm. And, uh, you know, the year before that, I had a completely different cross-section of the different grades mm. of school. And even within year 12, we have different levels of maths and I can only teach one of them at a time. And so it, you know, some of the courses, for example, I might have only taught over the course of 11 years. I've only had the chance to teach them twice. And mm. so I would definitely view myself as a novice in those areas. I'm still growing and I've developed a, a broad understanding of the knowledge that's in that course. But I never hold up myself as like, I'm the expert. I'm the best way to teach this. If, at best, I am just one way among many to teach this, but often that is just all a student needs. It's not like they need necessarily a better way of understanding a concept. They just need to see it from different Absolutely. perspectives. And, and that's often the key that unlocks understanding for a student. It's one thing that I certainly hold on to in my past, growing up and learning, and I came from that sort of institution of uh, being told what to learn, but not often getting the why behind it. And it became a process of memorising facts and bits and pieces of information in order to complete the test to a particular standard at the, at the end of the year or, or mid-year at the end of uh, a term. And there's a lot of frustration around that. Some some students can feed off that quite well because it's quite structured and there's no surprises along the way. Um, but others can struggle because they don't get that context. They don't get that why behind it. Mm. Um, but I've seen in recent years, and I guess probably just having a different perspective on life and, and growing up and maturing and all those things, adulting, I, I usually <laughs> say, um, that just looking at 
peers and friends that, that are teachers now, um, that there appears to be a different approach, or at least there's starting to be new approaches with the way that we teach information to kids and giving them practical reasons as to why it's beneficial to learn things. Because, you know, I, I had mathematics as a, as a class and in some grades I did reasonably well. And then sort of in the later years, I started to disconnect. And so it became something that I couldn't understand what the value of that subject was in my life. And there was the stereotypical uh, statements around, when am I ever going to use algebra in everyday <laughs> life? So why would I learn it? Blah, blah. And, and that also came from parents as well and other people. They would, they would joke about it and say, oh, look at that, that squiggles on the, that mess on your page. It goes, oh, you'll never use that after school. And so mm. I would have that in my mind as well. Um, and I'm going to get to the book because, and how to flick through it. So thank you for giving me a visual here My as pleasure. well. Is this something that was a bit of a journey for you to, to have these light bulb moments where you thought there's, there has to be more than one way to mm. be able to get a concept across yeah. because there's so many different people, so many different individual learning styles, mm. but also to, this is not about memorizing. Mm. This is about setting people up for the big wider world. Mm. What sort of, what's, did you have those light bulb moments along the way and did you have to take different approaches? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Andy, when you were describing um, the way that you, you know, from earlier years as you progressed further and just kind of uh, the, I was going to say the wheels sort of fell off, but really it's sort of like your connection to the subject and its relevance somewhat kind of evaporated. Mm. Um, I had a very similar experience going through and in fact, um, people who knew me at school were very surprised when I became a mathematics teacher because maths was not the subject that I was particularly good at. I could do it, but I didn't really, I didn't really sense any purpose mm. in it. I didn't mm. understand what's the meaning of all this. Why yeah. should I bother? Um, I was what I would now, as a teacher, I would call um, a very good handle turner. So mm. I treated maths kind of like this box, and I could crunch it through and put numbers in, get numbers out. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to have a mind that was reasonably comfortable with how that worked, even if I did not understand why. But when I became a teacher, I realized that that would not cut it. Mm. I would get those questions of what's, what's the point? Why are we doing this? Is this going to be in the, in the yeah, exam? Is this gonna, exactly right. <laughs> Does this count? Um, I knew that was going to, I was anticipating those questions and yeah. I knew I need to have a better answer for this. And so what I did was this, this is way out from the early days of when I was still at university um, I thought, I've really got to wrap my head around this subject. And so I started to dig into, I wanted to go down the rabbit hole as far as I could um, into the discipline of mathematics. But importantly, and I, I now look back in retrospect and see this as the, uh, I think this was the key. I was learning about mathematics with a dev very different goal in mind. Yep. I was not learning mathematics to pass an exam. Mm. I was not learning mathematics to, you know, keep my parents at bay and that way they wouldn't put me in tutoring or something like that. Mm. I was learning maths now because I wanted to convey, I wanted to give a compelling reason to the students I was going to stand in front of for why they should invest time in this. Mm. For why, actually, you know what? It's a really good decision. We make this subject compulsory for 11 years of your life and I hope you do it for 13 and beyond because it's going to enrich your life and equip you to do things out in the world you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And in many ways, going through that journey... I discovered all of these things. I discovered all these stories, actually, about mathematics and about mathematical realities that I had never encountered when I was at school. And I thought, why didn't I ever know this? And if I had known this, I think I would have enjoyed this subject a whole lot 
more. And so, were there particular things though? Like, can you can you remember particular moments of Mm. like a particular topic or something that uncovered that? That, that moment, that epiphany that you had and went, oh, wow, if I knew this beforehand. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, for me, probably the most obvious examples, uh, there's a whole lot of them, um, but some of them come from nature. I'll give you an yep. example. When you look out at, um, you know, we have all of this, um, uh, we have some shrubbery around here, a whole bunch of trees just out that window over mm-hmm. there, and trees have a very characteristic shape. If you show a tree to a child, they will instantly recognize that it's a tree. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, I wonder what that is. You don't have to think very hard. Yeah. Trees are tree-shaped. The shape of a tree is so characteristic that it's almost as though it, were like, it was kind of like designed and someone has, you know, created a consistent sort of architecture which has been, you know, pumped out everywhere in the planet, yeah. except for the fact that that is not how trees are. For some reason, they share this very distinct, but, you know, you, you know common geometry mm. that no matter where you find trees all around the world, even though they have their own unique features, they are all, they have the central trunk, they have the branches, they do this kind of, that's a tree, I recognize mm. it, right? Now, that is a, a big red flag for a mathematician when you see across a diverse range of situations the same kind of pattern. Yeah. And when that pattern is not just among trees, when you take that same shape and you can observe it in a river delta as it fans out across mm. the land, if you can take that same shape and observe it in a bolt of lightning as it strikes the ground, if you can take that same shape and observe that every artery and vein in your body traces out that same shape, mm. that makes a mathematician suspicious. <laughs> and it should make all of us think, hold on, what, what's going on here? Mm. Now, these shapes um, have a mathematical name. We call them fractals. And you don't study them or you don't, you're not required to study them at any level from kindergarten all the way to year 12, if you do the most advanced levels of mathematics. Mm. But that was something that I discovered. And suddenly it was like, yeah, I I have pretty horrendous eyesight. I actually have uh, one one long-sighted eye and one short-sighted eye, which sounds really (laughs) cool to begin with. It's like, well, it's a superpower. You're like, you know, vision man. You can see everything. Actually, it means I can see nothing. Like if it's far away, it's a blur. If it's close to my face, it's like I can't focus on it. Um, Now... When I put glasses on for the first time, I was like 12, 13 years old. The whole world around me just snapped into focus. Mm. I was like, oh, wow. And I felt like, I feel now, today, Mm. that mathematics is like putting on, sliding on this pair of glasses and things which looked blurry before and kind of like, "Mm, what's going on there? Suddenly you can see them with clarity. And uh, I could just, I mean, well... I have 50,000 words worth of examples of that, which are pretty much what made up the book. And I, I constantly meet these new surprises every day. Did, did someone approach you seeing the, the success that the YouTube channel, the WooTube cha- channel, well done. Um, oh, I have to pause you there and say, <laughs> I want to give my hat off to the, uh, to the Andy Social Podcast. That's, you know, a name like that is, there are a few names as cheesy and as, you know, punishing <laughs> on your own name. Uh, like that, then, then, because WooTube, it's like, that's a terrible name from a, a cheesy name for a cheesy person, but you, my hat goes off oh, to you. Oh, we're, we're both, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so there we go. Well done it's, to both of us, yeah. <laughs> Had ourselves on the back Touché. on that one. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, was there something along the way where somebody else came into your world and saw the success that you were starting to have with your YouTube channel and then put the proposal together for a book and said, you should do this? Or was this something that 
over time as you were going through your own journey as being a teacher and learning and understanding I have to adjust and change things and finding that why for your students as well that you that you had in the back of your mind that eventually I'm going to collate this stuff and one day hopefully I'll find an opportunity where it would be nice to put something out on on, on paper yeah was sure. it more the latter or what was it it was, was a it was a mixture of both yeah. so I think that you know I had the um, the very grand fortune of um, doing things in reverse when it comes to writing a book yeah. usually I think people uh, write a book and then they sort of go searching for a publisher mm. uh, a publisher did come knocking on my door but and I'm very grateful for this um, thank you Pam McMillan um, <laughs> they they said to me look we want you to write whatever book it is that you have in your mind. We don't even, we don't have a, we're not mathematicians, we're not educators. This really should be something that you decide. Mm. And so they gave me huge license to create the book that I wanted to. They didn't say, this is what we want you to create. Uh, they said, well, if you did something, if you created, if you became an author, what is it that you would author? Now, this is a terrible thing to do on a podcast, which is a completely audio medium, but That's I'm going right. to show we this can, to you we anyway. Can, we can uh, Maybe we describe can put it in, in the show notes, right? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to, I always had in the back of my mind, even though I never had you know grand plans to write a book, for me, and I did mention this before, I wasn't heaps into maths and at school. Mm. Part of that was the, the reason for that was because I uh, wanted to... Uh, pursue English and history and drama. I really enjoyed the humanities, and so I I was a I was a kid who did English extension two. Now in New South Wales, what that basically means is um, I I did a whole unit of study where all the my time was spent on basically writing. Right. Like a story. Okay. Um, other people chose to do poetry. Um, you could write whatever you liked, and I always enjoyed writing. I found it kind of a <laughs> I remember one writer described it as, uh, it's the way to make the voices in my head be quiet. You know, you've got these ideas. Yep, very true. You yep, want to you, you know, try and get them out. You want to express them in a way that, that, for me, was actually a way of articulating my own understanding. I find it really difficult to form my own thoughts in a coherent, articulate way without having a pen in my hand. That's right. And it as gives a you teacher, clarity. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Giving, trying to find clarity myself was the main reason why I wrote. And so having that sort of background, it made sense that when I became a mathematics teacher, you know, when I'm preparing a lesson and I want to teach about some, you know, really weird abstract concept, it made sense that I would, I would write my brain out, right? Now, what I'm showing you now, Andy, and maybe I'll, I'll grab you a screenshot and we can yeah, show cool. this to the listeners if they want to have a look in the show notes. Um, what you're looking at here is me trying to think about how am I going to express this idea in a way that my, my students will be able to understand? Now, this is not... I did not have in my mind, ooh, this would be really good for a book one day. But I came to realize after doing this for 10, 11 years, I have literally hundreds of thousands of words on, on hundreds of different documents and different <laughs> subjects. And I'm like, you know what? Actually, what I have been creating is kind of this brain dump. It's my way of articulating ideas that matter to me that I want to gain clarity on. And they kind of formed a lot of the book. I love it. I love that process of, of just, it's, you've, you've created content for your own purpose, not necessarily for a wider audience, but for your own world and your own set of circumstances. But then you've been able to, um, and I've used this tagline, so, all this word so many time, times, but repurpose it. You've been able to repurpose it for a wider audience. And so you had a head start, really. I mean, yeah. this opportunity came along and it's like, Oh, I'm going to connect the dots here. And, Absolutely. And so let's, uh, let's put it. Let's put it to paper. Yeah, the way I'd summarize it, that's that. Uh, you know, getting a head start is a very good way to say it because I'm probably I've been physically writing this book for about two years. Mm. Um, but you know, in terms of forming all of those ideas and thinking about what's going to go into this book, 
that that journey began the moment I decided I'm going to become a mathematics teacher and I'm going to try and absorb this this world, this universe out there. It's only just come out, hasn't it? The book. Uh, September was yeah. when the book launched, so yeah. uh, we're only a couple months out, and I've been really delighted to see it's been quite positively received so far. I, th- I mean, I haven't looked into it too deeply, but just on the surface, it's getting getting a fair bit of attention. And I saw something, I don't know what, if it was on your, it might have been on Facebook, and I think there was a post where you've got some upcoming uh, book launches, doing some in-stores, a mathematics teacher. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I did say right at the outset that I would never have guessed um, that this would have happened. And I've just been... I mean, one of the things that happened earlier this year is that uh, in the Australia of the Year Awards, mm. which in my mind is kind of this amazing cultural fixture yep. that I view as people off at a distance, incredible people who have done amazing things, you know, a life's work. Mm. Those are the people who I picture yeah. in that stead. And to be included in that number this year being named Australia's local hero, yeah. um, even if it is in, if what I, I might call it, like sort of the little brother category of the big <laughs> Australian of the year, you know, even to, to be named there, one of the things that struck me as I found out more about the, the whole awards uh, uh, program, uh, not once in the 60 plus years of the um, awards history has there ever been a classroom teacher um, named and, and honoured in that way. And for me, that's an incredible privilege. And also, I, I think emphasises, you know, I, I didn't receive this award because, or solely because of who I am. I'm also trying to be an emblem of yep. all of the teachers out there who've been doing amazing work in, in their classrooms, unnoticed, uncelebrated. Uh, and for me to bring some light to that, uh, and for the book to be a mechanism to help me share the joy of learning, which is something which teachers around the country have embraced um, and, and try and, imbue in their children um it's a a real honor it just gets the conversation going doesn't it because often there's things that we take for granted they these things exist in the format that they are and i think like many of us and like myself included when when you finish your time it's almost like a prison sentence but when you finish (laughs) your time at school and you move on into into adulthood and you get a job and you do all these different things um you forget about where you came from. You get little glimpses and memories and they get more and more distorted over the years as you get older and your memory starts to fade a bit. But <laughs> um, you, you take for granted what people do on a day-to-day basis. So as you said, to be able to not just get the acknowledgement for yourself and your own achievements and and everything that you've done, but to be able to open up that spot, put that spotlight back on other teachers that have been doing this and doing different variations of this for so many years. Um, and no doubt there's a whole bunch of people out there. I even saw, and sorry, this might be a slight tangent, but it just, I had a little moment there where I read somewhere and it might've been on a bio somewhere on the internet for yourself. And it mentioned that you were named and I don't know what it was for, but one of the top 10 teachers in the world. I don't know how that's measured. I was really, really, I thought maybe this is a bit of a subjective uh, uh, scoring, but, but I thought that's, that's cool that even a list exists regardless of, of how that's, how that's accumulated and how that's presented and, and who does it. I think just the fact that there's avenues out there and places that are celebrating the work that people do that we, uh, many of us just take for granted is just really, really exciting. It's cool. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, one of the things which, uh, it was quite something, uh, it, we, they flew us to Dubai for this amazing award wow. ceremony. And um, the, the woman who won the award, who got, who um, 
a million US dollars, right? She's this Oof. incredible woman, uh, a, an arts and textiles teacher named uh, Andrea Zafiraku in the mm. UK. And the, the impact she makes on her community, which is quite disadvantaged, quite violent, um, it's just a great symbol of what, what teachers are doing all over. Impact. And that impact is exactly mm. the right word. And one of the things which stood out to me is that uh, there's a lot of factors. It's kind of like a perfect storm of, of reasons that go into why teaching is often not recognized for its importance in society, especially a country like Australia. Mm. You know, one of the things I love about living here, frankly, it's the reason why my parents moved here yeah. and my, my brother, sister and I were born here, is that, you know, public education, universal um, uh, schooling for everyone is a thing. Now, that's Awesome. I think that education is a universal human right. I think every child on the planet should be educated. Mm. But one of the dangerous consequences that's unintended out of that is if everyone and their dog goes to school, it's very easy to take that for granted. It, mm. it becomes like clean water and air that you breathe. Absolutely. You're like, of course I have clean water and air. Why wouldn't you? It's like, well, actually, people all around the planet do Many not don't. Yeah, get to enjoy right. that. And so we... I think have become, yeah, as a society, a bit blasé about that. Mm. Um, and in addition to that, you know, uh, when we talk about award programs like yeah. that, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's great that this exists because it opens up that conversation around celebrating something which often is not celebrated. I mean, mm. if we compare this to, say, the entertainment industry, yep. you know, there's the Oscars, there's, uh, you know, when you think about someone got the Academy Award for this, that, the other, mm. that's a very natural thing because... You know, without generalizing too broadly, people who are in entertainment are quite happy to be celebrated in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. Teachers... Oh, there's ego. <laughs> <laughs> teachers, not so much. In yeah. fact, I, I've i actually nominated a bunch of teachers for various, you know, community awards or teaching mm. awards. And I've been... I've had to battle these people. They've said, look, I didn't... I didn't come into teaching to get an award, to stand up. Actually, I feel really awkward doing that. I'm here for the kids. I'm here to do something to make Very a difference selfless. in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what makes a good teacher, mm. in fact. Yeah. Um, but if we do not get stories out there about the impact and the importance of educators in, in communities, then young people are not going to be able to look out into the world and say, oh, that's really important. I should do that. Yeah. And for me, that's what it's about. It's about showing the next generation um, that this is a, something worth pursuing. I mean, um, in New South Wales, we have um, what we call selective schools. So they're kind of like academically competitive. You've got to sort of, you know, get a, do a sit a test to get in. Yep. I went to one of those schools. So I was surrounded by very bright people. And in my grade of 160 students, I was the one and only person who went into education because... That was not a thing that you did if you got, like, good marks at school. It'd be like a step back. Yeah, you went Almost. into law yeah. or medicine or finance. You did something with status in society. <laughs> and people would look at me, they're like, really? You yeah. know? And I think that's an indictment hmm. on Australian culture yeah. that we would respond that way. I think teaching is a noble profession. And if there's something that I want to work toward by the end of my career, it's that, you know, in, in, in 20, 30 years time, I hope children are saying, yeah, I want to be a teacher. And people are like, good on you, man. That's awesome. I, 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 I hope we have the best people in society aspiring to become educators. I found a real fascination with, with this podcast that I've been doing for the last several years, because it all started, and people that listen to, to this have heard me waffle on about this a million times, so I apologize to those people listening now. <laughs> but it started off with me trying to get out of my comfort zone and talk to different people from different 
different circles, different walks of life. And so I started off with all my musician friends and, you know, got, got in my comfort zone to get into the rhythm of it all. But then as I found interesting people, I started to branch out. But one thing that I've, and I, I've started to sort of move in this direction a little bit, and I'll always have my foundation of, of my mu- musician friends that I'll always get leaned back on. But I think those people that aren't celebrated, that are out there doing really important work that are often forgotten about. And for those people, those individuals, most of them, it, it doesn't matter like for them personally, because it's, as we said, it's selfless sort of work and they, that's why they chose the profession that they did. But having these people out there creates a foundation with every single individual person. So whether somebody becomes a musician or becomes an actor or becomes something in the entertainment industry or becomes the doctor or the lawyer or something like that, Teachers, as one example, are people that create the framework and the foundation to be able to cultivate that person to in, to have self-awareness, to be able to understand where their strengths and weaknesses are, mm. and to be able to move in a, in a direction that they're going to get the most, the fulfillment, or the most, the, they're going to be able to maximize their own potential. Mm. And when we take it for granted, and we don't talk about it enough, then we're not seeing that, that full potential, we're not appreciating the function of what a teacher is in, in this mm. example. So for me, like whether it be, whether it be a teacher that's doing fantastic things or, um, you know, we spoke about McKinley that has mm. been on the podcast. I'm mm. absolutely fascinated with somebody that's done so much over such a short space of time. And <laughs> I think, phenomenal. It, and, and yeah. I know she cops it so much from everybody that speaks to her, but everybody, I think there's a common theme with her. Everyone says when I was 17, Oh, geez. <laughs> and, but that's another example of somebody that's just doing amazing things that might not be the rock star sort of, exciting entertainment aspects, but is doing really amazing things, but also then leaning into emergency services Mm. and all these different parts of everyday society that we see in our travels and pass us by, but we just don't really take the time to go, huh, that's really fascinating and it's Mm. interesting. And wow, look at the impact that they're having. Mm. No, I, I think that what you said before about, you know, you doing this podcast and trying to, you know, branch out into the, the broader world of all these different people. Uh, One of the things which I've, been delighted to really encounter and discover and appreciate, grow into a deeper sense of appreciation for, um, is just how much, you know, people, people in school, um, particularly when they hit sort of year 11, year 12, they really start searching their soul, like, what am I going to do with my life? Mm. And a, a whole number of them, you know, they look at people who are our age or a bit older yep. and they think, man, you know, I wish I could just have this ready-made, I just, you know, just add water and, you know, ta-da, instant career. And it's a... Uh, an open shut case of this is what my path should be and I can just find it and life is not like that life is messy and you know we actually want you all to find all these very diverse parts of society Mm. which all fit together into this beautiful whole I think you know there's one thing I've learned from the Australian of the Year Awards I remember um we all got flown down to Canberra um, in January in the lead up to Australia yeah. Day to meet all of the other people and mm. to be there for the national ceremony. And we spent like the better part of two and a half days with these other people. And uh, for each category, there's four categories, um, Australia of the Year, um, there's the two age categories, yeah. uh, Young Australian of the Year, for yeah. which I am too old, and Senior Australian of the Year, for which I'm too young. <laughs> and then there's, uh, like I mentioned, the Australia's Local Hero category. Yeah. For each of those four... There are eight uh, recipients from states and territories. Sure. And each out of those eight, one is selected, right? Mm. And when I was meeting the other seven local heroes, it was just amazing meeting uh, that we were all different. Mm. Like you really could have, I mean, I hope they didn't, but you could have rolled the dice and said, any of you, any of you could be Australia's local hero. You've got someone who um, is a 
an engineer who's been made redundant and now he spends all his time and money uh, just making free prosthetic limbs for people. Mm. Just uh, Matt Botel, amazing guy, right? You've got someone who, uh, he spends his work um, rehabilitating uh, people who've come out of the, um, out of the justice system and, and are really having trouble expectedly um, you know, reintegrating into society, yeah. right? Peter Lyndon James, incredible man over there in WA. Um, I could just go on and on and on. Judy Adams, amazing breast cancer research. Society is beautifully diverse and embracing that and helping these kids find that, whether it's teachers or musicians. I mean, I, I very strategically placed you, Andy, right next to my mate and guitar over there in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, won't, I won't embarrass myself by actually playing it next to a genuine musician. Uh, my, yeah, I don't know. I just play bass guitar, so it's not, it's not quite the same. It's, uh, no, it's, uh, for me, you know, that, musicians and everyone who contributes mm. to our sense of culture and art everyone has their beautiful and important place to role to play. Well, I think that's, that's, that's the, I call it like, it's the one percenter. It's, it's that little bit different. It's that difference. Well, it's the thing that can make the difference and it can be such a small thing. And it's that inspiration or that sense of purpose, um, or finding fulfillment in what you do. And, you know, from my, my own journey and seeing other people that I've known over the years go through similar paths where, when you don't have, and going back to the whole context thing and understanding the why behind it, you know, being a teenager is tough work. Uh, you're, you're learning as you go. You're trying to work out where you fit into the world. There's the whole coming of age thing and not just being challenged from an academic point of view, but just life in general, everything's changing. Mm. And so if you don't have the right support mechanisms around you, and one of the most important ones is, is a teacher mm. or your teachers. And if you don't have those reminders there to keep you on, on the course and to be able to give you the larger than life sort of perspective and go, there's more to just, this is important what we're talking about right now, but there are bigger things here as well. Mm. And I think that takes a lot of pressure off young people. Mm. And so, you know, whether, whether it be a teacher or, or somebody that's an entertainer or whatever it is, it's all about creating purpose and fulfillment and inspiration along the way. And it's, Mm it's something that's just not explained or discussed enough, I think. Mm. Um, and no doubt, as we said before, there's probably countless teachers out there that are doing things like this along the way in the way that they teach and, and pass knowledge on to students. But um, it's, at least from my point of view, it seems underrated. It's, I think that, uh, you know, one of my big missions is to try and uh, help people around Australia, maybe even the world, um, be able to sense that, you know, what I, I love so much about going into the secondary teaching space in particular mm. is, as you said, um, from ages 12 to 18, the change that you go through personally, cognitively, socially, yeah. uh, it's in most cases, it's violent. Mm. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. Mm. The, the amazing transition that we go through... Um, it's like a metamorphosis, you yeah. know? And I, I fell in love with seeing that happen. You know, year seven students... They're so needy and directionless and, you know, they're very capable, but also like in the first week of, of year seven class in term one, uh, pretty much every year is kind of like, Mr. Wu, do I have to write a heading for this? Mr. Wu, do I draw this diagram? Mr. I'm like, look, set yourself out, draw it, don't draw it. It's up to you, man, you know, decide for yourself. But they, they so crave that structure and yeah. direction. They're trying to work things out. Yeah. That's where they begin. When they leave the end of year 12, these are 
um, young men and women who are equipped to be citizens who are going to make a difference in the world mm. in all these different and beautiful, diverse ways. And I think that's, that's incredible. I, um, teachers do have an important role, but in some ways, their role is a very... Uh, it's very secondary and supportive because um, it might be just the fact that I went to an agricultural high school uh, for, for all six years of my high schooling career. But I kind of viewed this through a horticultural metaphor. Mm. Children are kind of like seeds, right? What do teachers do? They come along, they water, they cultivate, they weed around, they provide a trellis, a structure. Um, but the power to grow is within the seed. And yeah. we just get to contribute to that to to enable that growth to happen and um that for me is an unending privilege i just love being able to see and um, take part in it and depending on what you're growing there's a whole range of different seeds that are going to turn out into different plants and so your what you're providing them is ultimately going to create their own individual path their own individual potential their own individual interests along the way so it's um I think it's exciting. No doubt, like just uh, for me, I love to see progress. I love to see things change and 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 the uh, the build up of of progress. And so, for a teacher to be able to see that impact is would be really powerful. It is. It's it's what motivates me um, every day. I mean, I remember um, I had a friend uh, at church who checked up on me after my first week of full time work. Yeah. And he said to me, "Hey, how how'd you find week one?" And, you know, I'm, I'm coming out of, uh, out of school. I've, I've literally only been teaching for five days. I'm so fresh. I've just met, you know, for the first time, most of my classes. And I said, man, I am smashed. I'm exhausted, but I love it. Like, it's like, I found my calling. And he said to me, he kind of narrowed his eyes and he looked over and he said, I give you six weeks before, <laughs> before you turn into this grizzled, old, cynical, tired, frustrated, I hate work. I hate, but here I am 11 years later and I feel like every day I discover new stuff that excite me and show me there's a deep purpose and value to what I'm doing. And yeah, it's hard. Teaching is a tough gig. Um, but it's almost, it's almost precisely because of that difficulty that makes it so gratifying. And now, well, having, having the YouTube channel, having the book, it's not just about your students anymore. It's, it's the wider audience now. It's the general public. Mm. So for someone like me, I might find a new love for mathematics out of looking at that content and, and reading, reading this book and sort of going through it and thinking, wow, there's, there's so much potential here. Mm. You know, um, like looking through the book, you've got so many visuals here. And, and mm. I read, I think um, one of the previews about the book was, just touching on some of the, the topics that you cover. Mm. And it's not your traditional sort of scenarios. <laughs> I think you talk about conspiracy theories, you talk about card tricks. Um, is it right killer butterflies? Yeah, yeah. Like that's that? I, one, of, one of the things which I wanted to do with this book is to really grab people's curiosity. And so mm. I'm a um, dear listener. I'm just turning to the contents yeah, page here um, with my very artful one-handed grip. And I, <laughs> oh, I, well, wanted, to, I wanted to title each of these uh, 26 chapters... Um, one for every letter of the alphabet. Um, I wanted to title them in such a way as to sort of make you think, wait a second, 
what does that have to do with maths? Yeah. You know, um, the second last chapter there is one of my favourites in the whole book. Um, <laughs> Why aren't left-handers extinct? That's the one. <laughs> and uh, I wrote it out of, um, not to spoil a chapter, but my, my brother and my dad are both left-handed. Mm. Um, my dad grew up at that time where he was retrained to not be left-handed, and which obviously is very difficult. Um, as a consequence, he's kind of neither-handed right now, struggles to write with both hands. Mm. But uh, for me, when as, as I went through my mathematical career and started learning, things and i remember the first time i met this paper that was uh titled you know uh you know uh what was it called rare rare genetic characteristics and uh uh what was the exact wording uh, mathematical dampening and i was like oh, what okay what is this about i didn't know what half those words meant yeah. <laughs> but i was curious i'm like left-handedness and maths what there's got to be yeah. something here so i did my research and uh found this marvelous pattern in there, which is what that most phenomenon, which is what this chapter is about. And I, I hope that's kind of, you know, rainbows and teacups and stars and, and all kinds of things, which people might not guess have anything to do with maths. But, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, if you dig deep enough into anything, you will find mathematics there. It's just, it's, it's really fascinating. It's, and, and when you look at just this table of contents, you've done a really good job because it's, it's something that just opens up that that door of fascination you go wow this is like what i'm about to embark on mm. is not going to be a typical sort of textbook or anything mm. like that. well it's not a textbook it's, mm. it's something that gives an insight into the possibilities or what's it's not even the possibilities it's a reality of mathematics mm. Mm. and and i think that will it'll dispel a lot of opinions that people have and especially from my background as well we were taught mathematics because that was a, a mandatory subject and so you had to do it. So it was a tick box almost. So mm. you would learn from a, a memorizing uh, point of view and, and that was it. So this gives a bit more of a, a taste of, of what it's really all about. Mm. It's, it's really, really fascinating. Yeah, thanks, man. So I'm going to wrap it up in a tick, but you did allude to it before. There's a guitar sitting next to me. <laughs> I'm not going to make you play. <laughs> but when I, when I looked on your YouTube channel, you do have a few guitar videos on there. Yeah, they're pretty awful. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I honestly think that you are a far better guitar player than I am when it comes to acoustic and especially the style that, that you play as well. But there's, there's an approach, and I didn't watch them all, but I watched a, a few of them, and there's an approach that you take which just seems to be very similar to the way that you teach mathematics. It's just it's your style. It's your personality, and that's and I think that's that's a big part as to why this book exists, why you've got the success that you have, why you've got all this attention on you, is that it's your personality that shines through. That is part of the context behind the subject matter, is you being able to deliver it. And I see that with the guitar videos. And I think it was either your TEDx talk or somewhere else, and I, and I was looking through a couple of videos, and you mentioned how you were taught at a young age piano. Mm. And... Can you explain to me, just and take as long as you want, but you can be brief. Um, I guess the mindset approaching piano as mm. a kid, and the the mindset approaching guitar now, mm. because there's obviously two very different. Yeah, yeah. I uh, there's a whole different mindset that operated underneath my learning for each of those, which really has informed a lot of the way I think about teaching yep. in general and yep. and about mathematics. So you described the way how. You learned maths at school pretty much because you had to. Absolutely. And it's almost like a, um, it's, it's a rite of migrant passage for, um, you know, and it's not only them, of course, but, um, you know, 
the piano and violin. Mm. There is a reason why the piano and violin are played by so many children of migrants, and that's because pianos and violins are expensive instruments mm. and you know emblems of you know you're well off you have enough disposable income that you can spend money on this instrument and all the horrendous number of lessons to learn <laughs> said instrument um and also you you're enough of a you know a person of leisure that you're you're not constantly spending every spare hour that you minute that you have trying to earn some income yeah you yeah. can spend that on recreation mm. right? now as a consequence when i was younger my brother and sister all, both went through this as well. We learned the piano. We had it there in the house. My sister was the only person with enough raw musical ability to actually take it to a, a reasonable amount. Um, I learned the piano really through gritted teeth. And, um, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it. And um, I, had, I had short, stubby fingers that couldn't reach an octave on the keyboard. And it was... Um, yeah, it was like pulling teeth the whole yeah. time. And much like most people regard mathematics, as soon, and I begged for like for months and months and months, as soon as my parents allowed me to stop, I stopped. I gave up on the, on the instrument and I just consigned myself over to that basket of people who are just not musical, mm. you know? Mm. And I, I looked at people who had musical ability and skill and thought, that's amazing. And that's not me. No big deal. I gave it a good go and um, I discovered that wasn't me. Now... I don't know what it was that gave me the crazy idea. I think perhaps I saw a friend of mine who picked up an acoustic guitar and I looked at what he was doing. And I think number one, I was like, that doesn't look too difficult. Mm. It looks, that looks doable. Like I didn't think this guy was particularly musical either. He seemed to pick it up. right. <laughs> and number two, gee, the girls seem interested in that too. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to have a look at that. There's and a I common thought, theme. Look, I can't, I'm <laughs> not going to, I'm not going to lie. Right. right. Um, and so I thought, look, maybe, <laughs> This is worth reconsidering. There's lots of different motivations. Yeah, of out course, there. you yeah. know I can't pretend. I will not. I refuse to pretend that there was purely, mo- you know, um, nice motivations behind it. But I, it was kind of funny because the irony is, I started to pick up the guitar, started to learn it, um, and uh, you know, realized quite quickly I wasn't going to be able to play this at any kind of level that would be impressive enough to actually um, have any impact on my, you know, success with girls. Yeah. And it didn't, <laughs> believe me. Um, but what stayed with me was I had this weird sensation um, where the way I learned music when I was younger was I would be handed a piece of music mm. and I would look at the notes. I would try to, my best to read them and then I would memorize yep. whatever pe- the piece was. But when I learned to play the guitar, that friend of mine who I mentioned, and I was helped a lot by my, my brother as well, they taught me how to listen to the bass line of a song and, you know, with a reasonable amount of success, pick what the key of the song yep. was. And then, you know, unless there was some weird, you know, um, out of key chord, I could work out how to play that entire song, especially if it was pop music, you know, four or five chords max should be fine, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I came to this moment where... I taught myself how to play um, 3AM by Matchbox 20, which, of course, is a very simple song. In fact, that might even have three chords, I think. Anyway, (laughs) uh, very simple song. So it wasn't hard to learn. And I kind of came to the realization, I'm making music. (laughs) Like that's, It didn't feel like I was making music when I was learning this piano piece. It felt like I was stabbing my fingers at keys and, and putting out something which sounded awful, to be honest. But I was playing, I was like, oh, how did I make this transition? And I suddenly realized, oh, this is doable. This is just like mathematics. 
mathematics is something which people look at as kind of an artificial skill that they really hate. They kind of stab their finger at the buttons of a calculator trying to come up with the right answer. And if it's the right one, if it's the one that matches the one at the back of the book, they say, phew, and move on to the next one, right? But in fact, mathematics is a lot like music. If we actually just hand people the instruments to engage with these patterns, to make patterns of their own, people actually can embrace and even enjoy the subject and that's what i've loved showing people it's it's getting them to that level of enjoyment i think almost immediately where they can see the potential and they don't have to be proficient and and have a, a high level of skill but when when they get that it's probably not the right word but i i was, was leaning towards when they get that whiff of it but they get that just that first little buzz from being able to connect with a song mm. and whether it's a three chord song or something more than that, <laughs> just especially for me, like, you know, I learned the first two or three notes of a particular intro of a song. So I didn't even know the whole song. I just knew the first, but when they connected and they connected with the song that was playing in the background, I thought, Oh my God, I'm doing it. It's like the training wheels that come 100%. off and I'm like, Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. bike's moving. And the enjoyment kicks in because you're seeing it happen. You're seeing the results of what you're putting in. Mm. It's that output. Yeah. And then you start to be more open-minded about learning the mechanics underneath it. Yeah. And so no doubt you would have seen, and you sort of alluded to this, you know, with pop music and a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, rock and, and things like that. It's very simple. And there's a lot of repetitive patterns. <laughs> <laughs> there, are sim- there, are sim- there are particular chord progressions that are just copy and paste. <laughs> yep, and yep. there might be a slight tweak on it, maybe <laughs> a different key. But for the most part, it's the same. And, and it works for particular reasons. Mm. And um, it's, it's, it's good that I think from you, and I, and I certainly got this when I, when I was watching these, these videos, is that you're, you're blending these worlds together. Mm. And you're showing, and this is another demonstration of, the ability to learn mm. and the ability to find enjoyment in learning mm. and doing it not so much just at your own pace, but at your own will mm. as well. It's really powerful. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I remember when one of my university lecturers in the context of teaching in a high school, yeah. um, she said, success is the first ingredient of engagement. And what she was trying to explain was, you know, it doesn't matter how, how nicely and innovatively you design your lesson. If your students can't walk in there and very, very quickly, within like two minutes, experience, oh yeah, I get this, I'm on board, I have access to this. Then they are, you have a, you're, you're riding uphill to try and engage that kid in the learning and mm. do the work of learning themselves, which will actually help them. And I, I run that parallel with, I remember the first time, you know, fleetingly trying to get rhythm working on, a, on this acoustic guitar and struggling with it so much. And then there's this point where, I don't know, I think I, because the chord progressions are so similar sometimes, mm. I think I accidentally played the main um, progression for um, Holy Grail by Hunters and Collectors. Okay, yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, I played this thing. I recognized it for a second. <laughs> I was like, wait, what song am I playing? I recognized the song, but I couldn't work it out. And then my brother instantly recognized it. That's Holy Grail. And I was like, oh, yeah. And... And what that did subsequently, like I was playing power chords on it and yeah. I was like, ah, oh, this is cool. What else can I play that's like this? And that was what set me down the path of working for weeks and months to actually properly be able to play a bar chord, which yep. as any, you know, guitarist will, will testify, the first time you're developing that skill, it hurts real, and it sounds terrible, mm. but it was that first taste of success that motivated me to continue engaging with it. And you had the, you had some basic framework 
that you could then, it was a pattern, and you were able to apply that pattern to the next song or, you know, in, inadvertently being able to play a song that you weren't even actually practicing, and, but because there's patterns, there's mm. trends, there's things that fall into place, and mm. it would be no doubt the same with mathematics. Mm. When you start to learn particular types of concepts, then they become the foundation of, of new pieces of work that you start to, to digest and, and, and learn along the way. Yeah. I mean, it's great. One of the things that's, like I said, beautiful about mathematics is how much I would compare it to a really well-crafted and long story. Mm. So, you know, if you're, I, I, for some reason, everything that jumps into my head is like a fantasy story, like, you know, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones. It's something which, you know, so many years of thought have gone into planning out the arcs of all the individual characters and uh, how everyone's going to come together. And when all of these disparate threads suddenly coalesce, you're like, oh, that's, it's, it's beautiful, it's satisfying. And mathematics is a bit like yeah. that. You know, there are things which you learn something and it doesn't, you know, like, why, why am I learning this? And, you know, someone will say to you, you know, just be patient. In, in two or three books time, you know, in a few years, this will all make sense. And, and all the threads do um, create this beautiful tapestry of knowledge, which I think is amazing. It's cool. I'm going to be driving driving away today, just looking at everything, looking for patterns. And just, uh, it's, it's inspiring to see somebody not just do good work. And that it's often not thanked by the everyday person because as we said before people take take certain things in life for granted but for somebody to be doing that but on top of it really putting themselves out there and maybe not that was not the intention to begin with but you've you've got this now and and you, you seem to be doing really well with it and i i mean i don't know what your colleagues think of all this and you know we're, we're sitting in in your office here, which has got glass walls and, you know, there's, there's a few people in there, but not as many as when we first walked in. I thought, I wonder what they think about uh, all this attention that Eddie's getting. Do, do they do they love it or is it sort of a, a mixed bag of feelings? Uh, a, a mixed bag is a good way to describe <laughs> it, I think. I mean, at this point now, um, it's, it's kind of a, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's just, you know, and I think it's also very funny that, you know, I, I said before, uh, the way that I teach is not unique. Mm. Um, it's not... I don't think it's, it's, it's special in any way, but because it's accessible, that's yeah, part that's of why right. it's gained attention. Now, um, here, uh, among the 20 teachers whom, whom I work with, I, I'm one teacher mm. among many. And I love, there are teachers here who can teach a variety of different topics way clearer and better and more, in more compelling ways than I can. And I love leaning into mm. the strengths that they have. We're a team here. Mm. You know, one of the great things about working in a school like this is that, you know, Every every kid will connect with a different teacher, yeah. and that's why it's great that there's a diversity of us here. So I think for them, they, they kind of look on with bemusement in some ways, <laughs> um, but hopefully it's something that they also take their own ownership of. It's a celebration of, of all teaching. Absolutely. That's oh, fantastic. Well, I really loved uh, having this chat with you. It's fantastic. Andy, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Eddie Wu. I'm going to have all the links in the show notes over at andysocial.net. Now, I have a book of Eddie's, Wu's Wonderful World of Maths, that's come out. So you can get it from all good bookstores, all the usual places. I'll have links in the show notes as well. Uh, but Eddie gave me a copy. It's a first press because there's been uh, several presses that have been uh, printed already. And he signed it as well. And I'm going to give it away. So I've had a quick read through it. It's fantastic. And I'm going to pass it on to somebody. So I was thinking, uh, I'm going to keep it really simple. So for the next week, for, so from date of this episode coming out to the following episode, what can I get you folks to do? How about leave me a recommendation or review on Facebook? 
do that. It doesn't matter if it's one star or five star or three or whatever it is. I'm not going to coach you to, to give me a positive review, but give me a review. Give me some feedback. Give me some, give me something to work with and put it on the Facebook page in the review section, in the recommendation section. Um, and I will pick somebody that puts something up in this next week. And it's only between these dates. And I can't give you the dates because I can't remember when this is coming out, but between the date of this being released and the following week. So if you put something up there, I will pick someone out and I'll name that person on an upcoming uh, episode of the Andy Social Podcast, but I'll contact you uh, straight away and shoot it out in the post. So Thank you so much, Eddie, for the donation of the book. Uh, really, really cool. It's such a good book. You guys have to check it out. But um, if you want a copy, go and leave a recommendation or review over on Facebook. At um, Just search for the Antisocial Podcast on Facebook. You'll be able to find it. Thank you very much, Eddie. Much appreciated. All right, before we wrap it up, band update. We're still chipping away. We've got stuff happening. Um, I don't know if there's going to be any teasers by the time this comes out, but uh, stay tuned. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we're getting so close. I am chomping at the bit. I've got all my little strategies and campaigns and things all scripted out and ready to go. And oh, just just make it happen. I'm so excited for this album. Um, there are, I think there are 11 songs on the album. Um, what else can I tell you? I gave you a hint. I told you one of the words from the album on a previous episode of the podcast. So you can go back and have a listen to one of the outros on one of the past several weeks. Anyway, there's a hint back there. Um, 11 songs. Um, there is an eclectic mix of tracks, as always, in True Lord fashion. Um, but there is some, there are some classic hooks, classic riffs classy tunes so uh stay tuned i'm just i'm excited and i just wish i could tell just tell you guys more about it so it's so frustrating but um i'm it's it's just going to be so good i can't I, I hope i'm not hyping this up too much but i'm really really excited so i hope you guys are excited as well um self-start is done for the year thank you so much for the support season one will be available up until june next year when season two will be up and running. Um, what I am thinking is that I will archive season one and um, make that available maybe as a USB thing or a bulk digital download, um, you know, somewhere else. But um, I'm going to archive it probably around June next year. So uh, make sure you get a, get into that and uh, absorb all that content and get into it and enjoy it uh, because it won't be up there forever. Uh, and I will start to archive old episodes of the Andy Social Podcast sometime in 2019 as well. Don't know how I'm going to do it, um, but that is something that's on my little agenda. So we'll we'll see where that all goes. But that's it, folks. Another episode in the bag. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, if you're listening to me waffle on now and you're new to the podcast and it's the first podcast you've ever listened to, thank you so much. You're so patient. Really appreciate it. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Please let me know if this is the first time you've listened or um, just, I don't know, shoot me a message anyway. I'd just love to chat to people. Anyway, enough of me. Until next week, folks. Take care. Ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.